So, what is it that you love about being black? That's a great question, Nanny Keenan. I love being black because I'm different from everybody else. And the second reason, because black people can do anything they set their minds to. What I like about being black is just freaking amazing. We we are amazing. Every day is a good day for breathing. My but, favorite part about being black is uh, the originality. Love being black because I can put my hair into different shapes and sizes and nobody can ever tell me how my hair can be. I do like the food. When people say black girl magic, that's for real. That ain't just because, because we just want to say that. It's real. We magic. We, we are so unique in everything that we know. Go ahead, say it. Please say it. Please say black. Please say black. Please say black. Because I always was black. <laughs> <laughs>People are always making moves here in the United States and throughout the world. And rather we're talking about things like Oscar Gate or celebrating the first Black Supreme Court Justice, Justice Kantanji Brown Jackson. The way that we moved has often been critiqued within the white gaze. And sometimes that conversation can be so suffocating that we lose opportunities to discuss the way we move collectively as a community of Black folks. And so today, I am so excited that the latest episode of the Please Say Black podcast is featuring a conversation with my good sis Courtney and I as we take a deep dive about the choices we make as a community and how those choices impact each other. And there's a statement that I've heard growing up, and I'm sure most of you have too, called that all skin folk ain't kin folk. And in that conversation, we really pull apart our feelings, our belief systems, and the premises that she and I hold in it when it comes to that cliche. Within this episode, we're going to talk about the proximity that some of us may have to whiteness, this idea of a respectability politic, cancer culture, community accountability, and of course, sneakers. So I'm so excited that I get to have this conversation with the beautiful magic that is Courtney. I really want to encourage you all to look at the episode notes to find out how you can learn from Courtney, support Courtney, and follow her work. And I'll see you on the other side of the episode. Welcome. Please say Black Podcast. I am so excited. I have my sis, Courtney Napier on the podcast we have been having this conversation privately for about a year and finally it was just like we need to have this publicly and so okay before i wax on let me just say the 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 special resume shit about courtney courtney because (laughs) i will get very confused so courtney is the founder of black oak society magazine and is also the editor and creator of boss magazine so Courtney is a literary giant, a Black creative, a thinker, a writer, storyteller, all that jazz. But more than that, Courtney is a Black woman that I'm able to text and be like, girl, (laughs) Uh, that's something really powerful about being able to text somebody and be like, did you see this? Mm. Right? Yeah. So I'm not trying to diminish all the stuff you've accomplished, but I just, <laughs> but I also want to say that you a good sis. <laughs> Thank you. That is the, that's the most important accomplishment, being a good mama, a good partner, and a good sis. I mean, what else is there really? What else what the, matters? <laughs> One of my favorite people to kiki with, Cordy, is there anything you want the people to know about you? Uh, like I said, I, I'm a mama, I'm a partner. I have two young babies, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old who I adore. I love being Black. I'm from the South. I was raised in North Carolina. And um, so this is where my roots are. And that's what inspired Black Oak Society was getting to know my roots. It took some time for me to really learn them and appreciate them. And I was just having a conversation with a friend. I really appreciate Black 
media, Black radio, Black newspapers, particularly Black radio, for being that lifeline to me for my culture and heritage when I didn't get it a whole lot of other places. So um, I am a late bloomer as far as my racial identity development, but I believe it was, it was for a reason, it was for a purpose. And that's kind of the more empathetic space that I moved from is someone who it took some time for me to understand who I was um, and to have pride in that. And now that I do, I want everybody to feel this level of love and pride for who they are and where they come from. Which is why you're the perfect person to have the conversation we're gonna have, but we're not having that conversation <laughs> yet. It's time for the blackest thing. It's time for the blackest thing. Made it out the neighborhood, made it to the pros. this part of the show i love to ask people what is the blackest thing you've done of late like the blackest thing you like oh that was some real black shit that i just did oh what is the blackest thing i've ever done so this year for or not ever done but like most recently comes to mind yeah most recent so most recent this year for christmas my father-in-law is very very generous very generous man and um loves to kind of go big on Christmas and I really could not figure out what I wanted because um I'm thankful that we have been blessed in that arena so there wasn't a lot of things but you know what I've never had a fly pair of sneakers I've never been a sneakerhead I've never like gone there before and I was really really wanting that really really want some fly sneakers so I asked for some filas that are just like out of this world they look like they could be on the opening credits for in living color like they are just the they are so fly and so I got these for Christmas and I just feel like the flyest thing right now I got like cool black girl sneakers I can go out in my like my full-on sweatsuit with my sneakers and my big hoop earrings and my blue hair and just feel like untouchable so now what comes with the fly sneaks though is I know there's an energy you walk with. Your walk, your energy is different because oh, now yeah. you got that don't nobody step on your shoes energy. Right. Swagger's <laughs> next level. I don't smile at people anymore. I'm just too cool. You me. ain't making direct eye contact. No, except to the sisters and the brothers. That's it. Those are the only people that get talked to when I wear my fly sneakers. That's like, it. It's like an automatic give me back mm-hmm. up, give me 50 feet energy when you got on yes. those shoes. <laughs> absolutely don't say I nothing i wanted listen i'm not a sneakerhead either okay but i have to say that we are kindred spirits because <laughs> when the new well it's not called the new fresh friends but i'm old so i'm calling it the new fresh friends yeah, but it's a new fresh came, you know mm-hmm. when it came out uh and i've never had a pair of jays in my whole life and I'm oh. from the South. So that's also like, that's not, you know what I'm saying? But it's not normal to not have had J's from the South, but I've never right. had a pair of J's. But they created like this whole new pair of shoes, like retros. No. And I was like, I want the retro fresh print shoes. When my old ass figured out how to go online, <laughs> they was already sold out. And no. now I probably would have to pay a bazillion, gazillion dollars. It's true. It's true, sis. So anyone hearing this, who <laughs> send the sister some shoes? I just want fulfill to a lifelong dream. Seven, like a seven and a half retro Jordan Fresh mm-hmm. Prince, because I too want to feel fresh to death and have that. You energy. too can bring a smile to a black woman's <laughs> face today. Okay, Courtney. So we are having a pretty heavy conversation <laughs> yes girl I, I start like becoming a little mermaid because i'm like getting a little nervous <laughs> oh i don't want nobody to cuss me out after hearing this episode <laughs> but then at the same time i'm like but i want that smoke but just not for black folk right like i can handle yeah. smoke from every direction you know <laughs> it is hard yeah that black smoke it that it. black smoke you just be like wait a accountable to black folks you know so absolutely if there is something first of all if you are black and listening to this 
feel free to ask questions and emails, thoughts, positions. Now, mm -hmm. if you're not black and you're hearing this, I wouldn't advise it. Pop, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, give it a, you know, you feel you you're feeling brave. <laughs> go for it. Why not? <laughs> but you just, you know. <laughs> saying somebody sent me this tiktok courtney and i'm gonna have to send it to you and it's from like a ghanaian ghanaian actor and it's like mm -hmm. i want all the problems send me all the problems <laughs> <laughs> yeah. mm. send me yeah. all the problems you know because i i look i i did i tweeted about this early this week custom people out because your ancestors couldn't cut them out some stuff you do because <laughs> That's very, that's a real, that's a real thing. Woo, you know, don't, if you don't want to do thing. it for you, and you don't want to do it for the culture, do it for your ancestors. Yeah, sometimes you just got to take that into consideration, Black, I mean, white people. You just got to take into consideration that, you know, we <laughs> might just intentionally choose not to be on our P's and Q's when yeah. you step to us. This might yeah. be that day. And you got to make space for that right yeah um but we're not here to talk about white people today we, no, we do talk not. about white people sometimes but today this is a us 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 this is a know, family conversation it's like it's like color purple like what's that scene with about where did we first see this in print right yeah so Zerlini Houston ha has a, a autobiography the 1942 autobiography and there's a phrase in that autobiography when our good ancestor says when somebody else eats fried fish bananas and a mess of peanuts and throws all the leavings on the floor they grasp my skin folks but not my kin folks and Sally mm. overall, they keep saying, my people, my people. So that's from tra Dust Tracks on a Road. And the episode notes are going to hold that. Yeah. So let's just give, I'm going to feel real good just saying, we got this from Zero and Neil Houston, okay? Yeah. This is yes. a phrase that, and there's probably some version of that, that even Harriet Tubman was, you know, citing, because we all know Moses was packing a gun. Yeah, I imagine it wasn't just for people of the pale. Yes, it's very true. Yes. So that's what we're talking about, Courtney. I say mm -hmm. that with a deep sigh, but we're mm -hmm. having this conversation today, you and I, all yeah. skin folk ain't kin folk. Now, mm -hmm. I guess I would like our audience to know part of the reason why we're having this conversation. So mm -hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna like throw that to you and then you could throw it back to me if you want to. Yeah. It's a personal conversation. It's a family conversation, but it's also a personal conversation. I have always been skin folk. I have not always been kin folk. And I own that. I own that um, publicly and explicitly because I need people to understand that oftentimes people don't choose that posture lightly, nor do they choose that posture with full knowledge of what it's going to actually mean. We do things, I, I did things, I'm just going to speak for myself. So I grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is um, a very segregated city. It's diverse yet segregated, that, does that make sense? Um, there's a lot of all different kinds of people here, but they live in their enclaves. And I grew up in predominantly white spaces from church to school to the people that my parents associated with at work. And so a lot of my understanding of the world was formed in those spaces. And not only that, but there was sometimes a lot of mixed messaging around Black culture and around Black norms and specifically Southern Black culture. My parents are both college educated. They uh, really wanted us to break through a lot of the things that they saw as holding Black people back. Um, and so this is how I was raised, a lot of respectability, 
a lot of that, especially around speech, how we how I did in school, not to not to continue that stereotype that black people don't care about school, but just this idea of like how I behaved in school, how I, you know, treated my teachers and this and that. Like my parents were the ones that were giving teachers. And I might embarrass them a little bit by saying this, but it was the 90s, y'all. So it is what it is. But my parents were the ones that were like, now, if my kid is out of line, I give you permission to spank them. Now, you know, sure as hell, there were no teachers out in the 90s spanking nobody. That had been dead and gone. But my parents were like, this child right here is not going to be acting up in your class. And I give you permission to do whatever you have to do to keep that from happening. So we did have, we did go through school with that understanding that like we had to behave a certain way we had to present a certain way we had to speak a certain way we he um my parents wanted to spend time with certain types of people you know that kind of thing and it was all for protection it was all you know they wanted us to be successful and this and that but unfortunately a lot of that was melded into seeing certain facets of black culture as detrimental as pathological etc so I took that on they were also very conservative I um I tell the story that the one president that I stumped for was um President George W Bush we, we need a in full 2004 stop we got a full stop there <laughs> I just got to give y'all the full picture of where I was as an 18 you know, I year old. I just, I needed to give you a moment for you a moment. The ancestors needed a moment. We all yeah. needed a moment. <laughs> I always hear the like ancestral groans, like, oh Jesus, oh Jesus. But they got me through it. They got me through it. But that's the reality. I mean, that's where I was. And I think there's a lot of people, there's a lot of Black folks who grow up like that. I mean, not a lot, a lot, you know, but there are many of us who grow up in that way. And I think it's, or in kind of like shades of that, right? And so I think it's important to name that not all of us grew up in homes that liberally embraced all things Black. And I think that's important to note. I want to get on the mic here a little bit. Yes, Although please. I never stopped for any bush. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, you yes. know, I just got to pick on you a little bit, sis, but I, I, I do, you know, and it's, you know, the, I want, I'm trying to keep a flow here, but there's a part of me that wants to go to so many places. But the first thing I want to say is that this feeling, and we live in a world right now, again, at the time of this recording, the CRT battle, people are oh. up in arms because they're like, oh my gosh, they're teaching critical race theory to my third mm. grader. First of all, kick rocks, that's not happening. <laughs> right. Secondly, y'all don't even know what CRT is. I mean, most college students aren't exposed to critical race theory. So what y'all, why are y'all up in arms? But there's mm. this feeling that like at least there's this like there's a there's this kind of popular culture conversation happening that mm -hmm. lends itself to this idea that people are in school in primary school teaching all these black power narratives and black stories and that ain't happening mm -hmm. and the truth of the matter is in most spaces that's not even happening in black homes i love true. my family right mm -hmm. but you know i was recently talking about I did a whole thing. So I was, so this week I, I talked a lot about Malcolm X because again, at the time of this recording, the anniversary of his murder happened earlier this week. And mm -hmm. what I was saying is for some like divine intervention, I got access to his book in junior high. I don't know mm -hmm. why the, uh, the, autobiog the autobiography of Malcolm X by Alex Haley was at my grandmother's house. You know, I don't know mm -hmm. if somebody like accidentally borrowed it from the library or whatever, but that's not the family I grew up in. I didn't grow up in a family that was necessarily talking about Black culture or Black mm -hmm. art. Or you, you see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, and I don't mm -hmm. imagine that at least across the South, right? You know what I'm saying? That that was an actual thing. That is yeah. not to say that my family was acting like we weren't Black. You know, right, I knew I was right. a Black person, but there wasn't like pictures of the continent. There wasn't, in fact, I even will say this, and this is kind of like a sad slash happy, so it's like a sappy story. <laughs> the first time I got called the N-word, 
was by a white person I went to school with. Mm -hmm. I didn't come home and tell my parents or people in my family I got called the N-word because Mm -hmm. it didn't seem like a space where we talked about that. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? But fast forward in the future, my 10-year-old nephew and keyword 10 gets Mm -hmm. to come home and say that, hey, guess what? I was called the N-word and has a plethora of people that he can talk to about it. So yeah. I'm glad that there has been some evolution in my own family. Absolutely. But I'm just saying, same, like, same. to your point, Courtney, I don't like I think people thinking that all black people are growing up in these families mm. where we learn about Black Panthers exactly. and we learn about, you know, Queen Ashanti. That, mm-hmm. like, that's not most black children's experience. It isn't. It isn't. And so, you know. Part of why respectability politics gets to thrive is because so Mm -hmm. much of how we have survived in Mm -hmm. these United States has been about adhering to social guidelines, what Mm -hmm. has been deemed acceptable behavior, what is acceptable clothing, what is acceptable Mm -hmm. hairstyles, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Like that is that respectability politics that has often been created for survival. Uh, Yes, that's the word. It's for our survival. I mean, I know, I, I really truly believe that my experience in school would have been very different for in a lot of ways, good and, and challenging. If I was raised in a home that was more explicitly pro-Black, but I, I was able to get along for the most part pretty unscathed because I was able to go along with the status quo. You know, it it never, I mean, not never, that's not true. I oftentimes felt some identity issues, you know, at different points of my schooling, feeling like, you know, at because part of what happened for me is that I never felt like I fit in anywhere. You know, I never really fully felt Black enough because I didn't have the knowledge and I didn't understand the jokes and I didn't wear the clothes and everything. We were talking about, you know, sneakers earlier. I never had, you know, I had BK nights, I think in second grade. (laughs) And then that was it. And then, you know, I certainly wasn't white. I could speak the language. I knew all the references, you know, but I was not them. Obviously was not. They were not coming over my house to spend the night, you know? I think my story... It's similar, but I could track it more to my adult kind of professional experience. And so my name is Kina Etu, right? And I've mm-hmm. not always been a kinfolk either, right? Mm-hmm. And I think about this a lot, which is for Black people in the United States, but I would even imagine across the rest, I don't think this is just limited to folks in the diaspora here in the U.S. I imagine this is true for Black folks in all of the Americas, in mm-hmm, any place mm-hmm. like the global Western economy is thriving, is a certain amount of professional triumph, right? Mm-hmm. Rest on us being able to be fully kind of invested in, yeah. fluent in whiteness. Absolutely. So prior to me being a college university faculty member anywhere, I remember growing up and hearing things like, if you want to be successful, you mm-hmm. got to talk like this. You got to yeah. wear your hair like this. You can't wear this. And so when I finally finished grad school, I've internalized that message yeah. that all of the things that I need to do to be considered hireable, to be professional, professional that is framed in whiteness yeah so I would say that and it gets even more complicated when we talk about the internalized anti-blackness and it and it's heartbreaking because you you know rather people are open about this I'll speak I'll speak honestly that part of how I'm able to be so invested and white norms, right? It's because I have to believe that something is wrong about what I authentically do, how I authentically dress, how I authentically talk. And they don't say that, right? They don't, it's not a formal contract that, you know, adopt our shit because your shit's whack. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's part of the byproduct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you start to believe that the things that are authentic, organic to you are bad, well, then you're, you're looking at other Black people crazy. If you want to be honest, and especially if you're a Black person who is able to be what we call first and only in spaces, right? So I worked hard and I got here through merits and I got Mm -hmm, here through education mm -hmm. 
and all you other black folks can't figure it out yep and, and i mean i say it tongue-in-cheek now absolutely and i'm in i'm horrified but i believed that for a very long time courtney absolutely yeah same same and i think this is really important where we're going with this conversation because part of this came from i, I think part of where this conversation started or where I remember distinctly is that there was um, not too long ago, probably a, a few months ago, this, I'm going to put this in air quote, interview between our former president, the Cheeto man and Candace Owens. And it was as a journalist, it was a mockery of an interview, but I understand the optics, which is the sit down interview is used. It's all, it's almost always propaganda and that propaganda is not necessarily inherently bad. But it's always to influence your idea of the person being interviewed. And the purpose of, of the sit-down interview is to, is to have a knowledgeable interviewer kind of cross-examine them, ask them the tough questions so they can explain themselves for whatever it is they've done. So like when R. Kelly sat down with, I can't remember her name, Gail King. Or, yeah, I was going to say Oprah's you know, best friend, but yes, Gail. Oprah, yes. Gail has, or, she has know, a name. <laughs> She has a name, Miss Gail. Hey, Gail. But any of those moments are always kind of like to a chance for that person to kind of like tell their side of the story and kind of gain empathy. And so you have this mockery of a sit down interview because Candace Owens is not a journalist. And so she is. And so and she certainly isn't um, unbiased or someone who's going to ask these tough probing questions to get to the truth about former President Cheetah Man. And so, and so that's what we got. What we got was a mockery, but, but what happened on Twitter was people just completely ripped her to shreds because she had mentioned something about the vaccine. He pushed back saying the vaccine was good and she, you know, is an anti-vax. That's her stance. And so she got ripped, which it was expected. But for me, it hit me in my feels a little bit because I understand the, I mean, they're both shadow sides, but I understand the the painful side, if you will, of not being a kinfolk, right? Which is there is a, an, a special amount of vitriol that you take on as not being a kinfolk, which is not necessarily unfounded, but oftentimes it is out of balance. And so she was being used as a pawn, which is very obvious. I don't care if people are like, well, she got paid. That's fine. Yeah, she got paid. Yes, she was a willing participant, but she was still a pawn. She agreed to be a pawn, and that's what she was used as. President Cheeto Man could have been interviewed by a white man, by a white woman, by pretty much anyone else, but him choosing a Black woman for this situation situates him in such a way where there's a power differential, and she ends up appearing to be a dunce, and he ends up appearing to be some semblance of intelligence, which we all understand is not the case. And so, it's never the case. It's never <laughs> This person never makes sense. He is never rational. And so that's what happens here, right? It's the perfect optic. I mean, everybody, I feel like kind of fell for the sauce. And so what, what I'm, the point I'm trying to get at is it was a very deceiving trap for us to fall into to demonize this Black woman because the point was to demonize the Black woman. The point yep. was for essentially for, yep. for the other party to basically fade into the background as being normal you know what I, I mean agree. and it's like how the young people say understood the assignment that was the assignment yes right absolutely that was the assignment right and I, I think that's a very 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 good point it's very astute because I think what people don't understand about the media which is something I feel like I can speak to especially the mainstream media is that it's all that's it's it's a white supremacist institution like any other white supremacist institution and so anything you're seeing on the on mainstream media is to support white supremacy. It's not for anything else. Who's ready for some black history? This is your black history moment. At the time of this recording, some pretty big black history has happened today. We saw President Biden nominate the first black woman to the Supreme Court justice. And so there are lots of things to celebrate, but I always try to remember, Court, that black history is made every day, every day. And you are black history. And so tell us how you are black history. Oh, thank you. So Boss Magazine. It's kind of a moment. 
And I, I'm realizing it more now. I found the Black Oak Society in 2019, at the end of 2019, having no clue, like anybody else, what was coming next. It is a collective for Black creatives. It was born out of a desire to see Black creatives in the South and especially North Carolina be more connected. Because in this in this space, in a city like Raleigh, um, we oftentimes find ourselves as the only one in the room. So that's that was the, the seed, if you will, of, of Black Oak Society and Boss Magazine was going to be our kind of flagship publication, our flagship offering to the world, which was a literary journal that was themed. And we would be kind of exploring creatively um, the history and culture of Black Raleigh. So it's grown over the years. But I remember when the first issue came out um, in March of 2020 and feeling very accomplished just because, I mean, I made a magazine. It was just a wild thing to have it finally in my hands. But what happened after really shocked me because a lot of people came to me and were like, this is a big deal. What you're making is a big deal to see our stories in this way. And it was important to me. But as far as being something that was important to a lot of people, I didn't really, I wasn't able to grasp that. And so now we are laying the groundwork for our sixth volume um, that will come out in June. And I think I've finally... (laughs) It's finally dawned on me that this is a powerful expression of our love for Black people today and and always here in in North Carolina and in the South. And um, it's something that no one will ever be able to take away from us. I think that's the beauty of print is once it's out there, it's out there. It's 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 forever. You know, it can't be deleted with the press of a button. And so I I really love the fact of like continuing that legacy of black media, of black newspapers and magazines and and creating something that I do feel is like my little bit of black history. Well, enough said sis. <laughs> <laughs> The power of print, the power of being a part of a cloud of witnesses, right? Mm-hmm, Especially mm-hmm. in a world that's anti-Black that has worked so hard to silence us. Yeah. And we're just really sharing so much ancestral truth that didn't get recorded before, right? Yeah. Yeah. Every now and again, well, you and I were just talking about like ancestry tests and I didn't mind and once I've started working on my family tree, it's like, I am only the fourth generation of Black people in my family who can read and write. And I sit with that, you know? And that's a powerful thing to recognize. Reading and Mm -hmm. writing and telling those stories. Kind of private musing around this topic. I've said to Courtney, I've said to lots of people, I don't use that phrase because it fails to hold the nuance. It fails to capture like why people would make these kind of anti-Black choices. Mm -hmm. And there's a component of this. And I love the fact that you brought up our good sister, Gail King, talking to R. Kelly, because I saw snippets of that interview and I was like, "Ah, ah, ah, I know, ah." girl, I couldn't. Put him in a corner someplace. Exactly, he can talk to himself. But there's a component of this that I think we need to kind of like really expand on, which is a lot of times when we say, you know, not all skin folk, not kin folk, we're talking about people who are doing things that like, kind of align themselves with non-Black communities Mm -hmm. or politics or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a component of this that people often miss, which is how is 50 Cent considered Mm -hmm. kinfolk when he passes out memes after mm. Megan the Stallion gets shot. Please talk about And this. people make jokes about a Black woman being physically assaulted and that mm. gets posted on the shade room and it's a fun ha-ha-ha moment, Please right? So it. how does that person, right? How do rape apologists, <laughs> how do the people like, I think it was the dream, you know, if I'm wrong, y'all can find me in the inbox, who when <laughs> Black people are of protesting says mm-hmm. things like, well, just don't come in my gated community. How is mm-hmm. that kinfolk talk? Because to me, it exactly. isn't. Exactly. This is very exactly. opposed to Black triumph, Black story, Black pain. So mm-hmm. there's a component of this where I feel like we haven't really, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, okay, we could, that's the easy mark to say Candace 
it's not yeah. she, you know Candace ain't kinfolk okay but it's 50 cent kinfolk it's R. Kelly kinfolk are all this these rappers a- who are grooming <laughs> young women to sexually assault them are they still kinfolk mm-hmm. so there's a part of that where I really wonder like where are we still missing the mark in the conversation? Because yeah. if the phrase all skin folk and kin folk implies that all Black people ain't supporting Black folks, yeah. not centering Black truth, well, then we need to expand the list. And Absolutely. you know, we I feel like we can't have this conversation without talking about Yeezy. Oh, yes. Mm, yeah. Because yeah. he ain't been my kin for a minute. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I I mean, you're touching on something very important, which I think the, you know, the the complicated nature of Black men definitely needs to be its own podcast for sure. And their relationship with Black women. I do suggest people um, read Audre Lorde. She has a really amazing, I'm trying to look for the book, but she has a really amazing essay entitled because it's my devotional. So it's right here on my nightstand. But the essay is called, um, ooh, Sex an American disease in blackface. And it is very powerful, as you can imagine, when she's talking about sexism. But I think what, what I want to talk about instead is that too often Black people weaponize Blackness against each other. I experienced this as a child coming up in school because I quote unquote talked white, because I quote unquote dressed white, you know, et cetera. I was, you know, treated a certain way. Um, and I know that's children, that's childhood. We, that's a part of identity development is kind of deciding on in groups and out groups. But that continues as you get older. And there's adults doing very similar things to each other. That is not okay. That is a product and a symptom of white supremacy. Um, and, I, and we have to really look at why and how we go out those types of behaviors against each other, because it is not equal and it is not um, rational oftentimes how we dole these things out. Black men too often are insulated from those types of judgment. And those judgments oftentimes are quite shallow um, because we're not putting predatory behavior in the category of anti-Blackness. We're not putting financially exploitative behavior behavior in the category of anti-Blackness. We're not putting um, parental abuse or or child abuse in in the category of anti-Blackness. And all those things absolutely belong in that category. Every single time. We're not putting spiritual bypassing and abuse in the category of anti-Blackness either. Yes. Absolutely. Abuses of power, you know, the power imbalances that still do exist within our community, whether that's economic, whether that's intellectual, whether that's gendered, whether that's sexual. Um, we are not putting those types of abuses, those types of behaviors in that category. The ab- homophobia. Homophobia is anti-Blackness every day, all day, period. Transphobia is anti-Blackness every day, all day, period. No exceptions. And so this is this is a conversation, a larger conversation, and I really appreciate the disciplines of womanism, womanist theology, because because these women go into these conversations and their work in the 70s. If you're going to talk about Black intellectualism and the work of civil rights movement in the 60s, you have to continue to do the studying into the 70s and 80s when you talk about the Black feminist movement. You cannot ever leave that out because you will end up with a very lopsided, very perforated, understanding of what it means what black solidarity really means and 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 so that's what we're dealing with right now circling all the way back to what you're talking about how black children very few black children are raised in homes where we're getting a full understanding of what it means to be a black person past present and future because that information is difficult to access. It is, that's what we're dealing with right now. It became in the information age more easier to access and things grew out of that like Black Lives Matter. I believe Black Lives Matter has a direct correlation to the internet and the ability for people to understand this information, to, to access this information and understand its significance. People understanding themselves, people being enlightened by their Blackness and that they matter. We needed to hear that. We needed to hear this in 2012, that we matter. It's been 20 years, my friend reminded me, it's been 20 years since Trayvon Martin was murdered this year. Tomorrow we the need- of his murder. 
at the time of this recording. And and we needed, and I was right there. I was clueless when that happened 10 years ago. I was clueless of the depth and breadth of what it meant to be a Black person in America. I had my lived experience, but I had very little context. And so we have children being raised in families with very little context and continuing to do so and continuing to do so. So when you, we come to the table to build movements, to build families, to build businesses, to create art, we're doing that with a serious lack of understanding of what it means to be uh, collectively. I mean, this has been heavy and and heavy in a lot of good ways. I don't think we should end today's talk without kind of responding to the question. And I think significant tension needs to be here. Then who are Keena and Courtney naming as kinfolk, right? Mm, yeah. And so I'll start us off. When I think about who are kinfolk, who are naming and who are able to name the violence that happens to the least of these, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I say in every space that I could possibly say, a world that is consistently protected Black trans women is the world I want to live in. Absolutely. And, if, you know, there's this African proverb, and I don't know what country, y'all forgive me, but it goes along the lines of if the children are well, how mm. the, the greeting is, how are the children? Because mm. you can tell the wellness of a community by knowing how the children are, right? And so mm. I would expand on that. Our kinfolk are the people who are naming the violence of Black trans, Black trans women, right? Who are naming that if that community of people are protected or given mm -hmm. resources or, or even acknowledged, that's the first thing I would name as someone who is a kinfolk. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I also want to say along with that, that, uh, that I am, I'm trying to think of the way to say this. I am, I do not believe in dystopia or utopia. I'm going to take deal that phrase from, from Agent Marie Brown, that it's not about, it's not about perfection and it's not about complete disillusion. There's something on how we struggle with the realities that we're living in. And that means that we're, you know, all of us, all Black people are going to show up having missed the mark from time to time in how we show up for each other. And so perfection is never the goal. I, I have been teaching my daughter that perfection is not real. She's a Virgo. And so this is a very important lesson for her. That perfection is not real. It's a white supremacist myth. That it's always about doing your best. No, that's a tenant of whiteness. That failure is not allowed. Absolutely. I say it's a white supremacist myth, baby girl. You do your best. You always do your best. And so I, and so we, it's about us doing our best. That's who I feel are, that's my kinfolk, are the people showing up doing their best. And when we fall and we stumble, we're accountable to each other, which is what you said early. I don't know if you said it when we were kiki in or if on here, but you said you were always accountable to black people, 150%. People who are accountable to each other. That's what, that's what, that's who my kinfolk are. And I would also add accountability. You know, we live in this time of cancel culture. So I want to expand here. Mm -hmm. I have not canceled Kanye. Okay. Absolutely. Can't cancel another human being. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it. What I'm saying is, until I see from Kanye significant movement to name the violence that he has manifested by his actions and his words, he's not canceled for me. I'm just not actively seeking his wisdom, guidance, or creativity. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know that and I, I mean I know people struggle with that right you get what I'm saying we you know and look we like I said we can have a whole nother conversation you know there's there's albums by Michael Jackson that I will listen to with joy and then there's some stuff that I'm not solicitating please say that please right say that. so I think to your point no one is asking for perfection but mm -hmm. once the community once our community has say hey we've been hard I do think that we get to ask and this goes back to really what I see of a struggling to have access to, which is a posture of demand, right? Mm. I believe that I deserve safety. I mm. believe I deserve to be listened to. I believe that I deserve agency, constraint, and boundaries. And that mm -hmm. is really hard for us as a community to have when so much of our relationships are built on trauma. Yeah, right? absolutely. And so accountability, 
that is informed is important. And I think we get to ask for that. Oh, 100%. 100%. It, it's, it's a building block to true, meaningful relationship, which is what we really all want and desperately need. And so I'm for it. I'm for it, girl. So, okay. I've been thinking since I knew we were having this conversation, <laughs> instead of saying uh, skin folk and kin folk, can we imagine an alternative? <laughs> oh, I love that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> New language exercise. New, New language. language exercise alert. New terminology <laughs> alert. So one of them I've been Absolutely. All people, all people are my people when they can be my people, right? Absolutely. Because I eventually hope y'all will all catch this bus to black liberation. But you know what? Mm-hmm. This time, maybe you'll catch it next time, but you are still my people. Yeah. But you're not my people. Like you're not in the car with me right now. <laughs> right. Exactly. We ain't riding together. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So you're yes. my people, but you're not my people. <laughs> Right. Changing. <laughs> I mean, yes, yes. You all, pe- yes. You're my people. Then you can be my people. Absolutely. And I think that that's what that's what I think. If we collectively said those words to a Candace Owens, it's like, sis, we are absolutely for your success, but this ain't it. So we're not for this because this is not success. You know, this is this is a mockery of success, here's and another, we're not for that. Here's another one I got: you in the culture, not for the culture. <laughs> yes, in the culture, not for the culture. The I, there culture. Be, there's got to be. I'm gonna be thinking about this tonight. Here. I am going to be in bed thinking like we have to come up with a new phrase for this. Not for the culture. Um, You you still, we ain't take you out the tribe. Here's the thing though. Your story is in here whether you like it or not. You know, we're not going to forget about you, but we ultimately don't want to remember you this way, right? Like we we all, we version of you to exist. Yes. Yes. We want a version of Candace to exist. Yeah. A better version of R. Kelly? Absolutely. I don't know if we're going to get a better version of Bill because he all know. I think. He all know. Yeah. Only the good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> all things are possible. You know. <laughs> but, but not through me. <laughs> but not, not, not me. That is Ooh. somebody else's ministry. Somebody <laughs> go up with Bill and help him. Help yes. Bill. Shonda. <laughs> Mm. Ooh, that's like one of those um night was it the night watch service <laughs> i feel like that's when the church mothers start to like really pray when they moan that that that, Ooh, that, yes. that, travail, that travail come on birth bill cup bill <laughs> give birth so much the personality of his personality has been born mm. through that anti-black birth canal bill was a huge reason why i started divesting from whiteness i don't know if i ever told you that story i was like no. the black man in America mm. is gonna get this treatment for violent crimes and sexual assault because he is i am not a rapist apologist bill, <laughs> yeah. Did. Yeah, bill absolutely did quick to be like bill did it i am not saying bill did it right but right. i was like bill has done what a lot of his peers white peers have done and at mm-hmm. the end of the day made sure he knew they knew he was a negro like you was gonna know it baby they yeah. took it i don't even know you can play cosby's on tv no more yeah so if the jello pudding poppers whitest multi-colored sweaters <laughs> if this ninja mm. has been ostracized ain't no hope for my 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 shit and no. i just you know what tap out girl tap out yeah it's the truth it's the absolute truth and i guess you know i feel like that's us coming full circle 2016 when i was like oh yeah i ain't kinfolk and i need to make some changes mm. i wasn't using that language i was saying i need to divest from whiteness because yeah. it's not serving me any longer yeah. yeah it's still it still is what it is and so i think what what you're saying is exactly right like it's not cool being a model minority you know why because you're supposed to be invisible that's part of it and so you might you know there are a lot of people a lot of non-black you know people who sometimes will pit their experiences against Black experiences. 
and they'll say, hey, well, this is what we were able to do. This is how we are able to, or I've never had this situation happen to me. I've never had a negative experience with a white person. I've always had, like, I've sat in rooms with people, like, I've always been treated well. And they're sitting at, looking at me, white presenting, light skin, hair that they've lightened. And I'm not, and this is not a blanket statement. What I'm saying is that, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. It's just like being tokenized. You're participating in something that is not for your full humanity. Mm-hmm. You might be experiencing some benefits of being close to whiteness, be, having, so having access adjacent to, yep. but let me tell you something, that's a highly curated experience that you're having. And if you get out of line, you're going to lose that. And when you realize that you're missing some things, like people understanding your full experience as a person of color, you need to have this, you need to have a realization that what you've been given and what you've accepted from the white power structure, it also includes you not being seen as fully human. That's a part of the contract. And that's what you you that's the informal contract you signed when you said, okay, I will live with this honorary whiteness. I will live yeah. white adjacent. Um, and so I, I often say there are lots of people who should take strategically black or brown, right? Who for various reasons can move throughout the hallways. Yeah. Right. And so that's what I'm saying. There's some really hard conversations. And I was even thinking about this, this, if we're talking about racial equity work specifically, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's two, like, again, I still haven't figured out the best way to talk about this, but there's two lanes. There's Mm -hmm. a lane where we're talking about people experiencing racism, xenophobia, texturism, all that stuff. And that's people of the global majority. So that's over here. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's very real. It has material consequence. It's every day. It's racial terrorism, all those things. Yeah. And then adjacent to that, parallel to that, is the very real reality that whiteness was created not to oppose all groups. It was oppo- created to oppose those of African dis- distinct, dis- descent. That's why right. the whole thing was created. Yeah. And we have to name that. People need to name that. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's Absolutely. why people of the global majority who are experiencing all these isms can still be anti-black Absolutely. You and Absolutely. that's the part that i think people really struggle with right and how can you say that in a way that doesn't minimize their experience so yes you are yeah, still experiencing all the violence of not being a white person but also right why news yes. wasn't created to oppose your life yeah absolutely we at least not in this country. Things. At least not in this country. Maybe in other countries it was. If you are, if you are a more indigenous person, I would say maybe you experience something different depending on you know where you are in the global south. But what yeah. you're saying is exactly right. This country right here, the United States of America, was founded on anti-blackness. Yeah, but the only reason why I say I would say globally that is still true. <laughs> is because of all the things that were happening to indigenous people. And it was a lot of atrocities, right? right. It mm-hmm. still didn't seem like white people were coming together on purpose. Yeah. To figure mm-hmm. out systems and norms to rob, steal, and genocide them. So all mm. of those things were happening, right? Yeah. But yeah. it still wasn't like a collective right response, right? They didn't mm. become a fraternity to figure out how, right? There was still like a, it was still like, a, it was like, it was still disorganized violence against indigenous folks. But yeah, in got, some ways, yeah, in some ways, yeah. yeah. And I'm just saying, mm-hmm. it got super organized when they decided that they were going to violate the continent. Absolutely, mainly because I think part of the reason why, um, at least from my understanding, yeah, there's a lot of truth there is because they were... Um, outsmarted in a lot of ways I mean when you're coming into territory and spaces that you do not understand yep (laughs) you know I mean you can wreak a lot of havoc but you don't know you don't know the routes you don't understand you know 
the lay of the land mm -hmm. as you do when you're indigenous. Now, let me say, I mean, this country does have very, very deep um, infrastructure around oppressing and unharming um, indigenous people. Native like that is, sure. that is absolutely the case. There's a yep. lot of and there's, and there's receipts for that, which is there why Black that. and Absolutely. Indigenous folks are always on that. When we're talking about outcomes, Absolutely. it is always Black and it's always mm -hmm. Native Americans. Tell a complicated. I think that's the other thing, too. Yeah. People think race is, is straightforward or it's been straightforward at any point in time. It's never at any point in time been a straightforward formulaic thing. Yeah. It ha I mean, in, in, in regards to ha having African descent, mostly, but even in that regard, you know, the, the politics of like a New Orleans were very different than the politics in Richmond, were very different than the politics in Charleston. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so there were, there, there was a lot of, <laughs> there was a lot of a lot. It, this was definitely like, I'm going to change the rules when it suits me Yeah. type of situation. Um, it's not and, even, so, and, it's yeah. not, and it's not even easy when we even talk about whiteness, right? Exactly. Because, and I, was that you and I talking about? Yeah, you and I were talking about the whole whoopee thing, right? Like the mm -hmm. and, but both, right? Yes. And so there's a component of this. I keep saying we need to wrap up, but I'm just saying like, we've always chose whiteness as a survival mechanism. Yeah. But guess what? We still being murdered. Mm. So it can only it's get true. you so far. It can only it's the truth. What's that? What's that line? They assassinated Dr. King in a suit with a with a whole multiple degrees. He was he a pastor. The president's hand. He was a pastor. He, he had dated white women. I'm being messy on that, right? <laughs> you are being a little messy on that. But we'll just we'll just keep going on that. So okay. So we're gonna think about the new phrase. Yes. You need to give me 10 new phrases so I can put it in episode notes. Okay. <laughs> We're gonna do a poll. Thinking about, I keep thinking about like something like it's kind of like I love you, but I'm not in love with you kind of thing. It's like you're like you are, you are, you are, you are family. Like you can't, family's always family, you know. So that you're right, the kinfolk part doesn't come because you're always family, but that doesn't mean you are like an active part of my life. Like you just got to figure out a cute way. Like it's hard to get that get that locked in, but it, it is. It's keep it working is, um, on this for your people. We are. And if, at yeah, the time hearing this, if you have suggestions for Courtney and I, please, Courtney, tell people how they can find you, talk to you, learn from you, throw some dollars at you, buy you some sneakers. Let the folks so you can find me at um courtney has words on instagram she has words on twitter um i currently cannot remember my facebook but good luck with that also my website which is courtneynapier.com of course black oak society the website is blackoaksociety.com and all of our handles are at black oak society no punctuation and i have uh on my um instagram you'll see links to my Substack and my patreon paypal is, is courtney has words also venmo is courtney has words cash app is courtney has words no punctuation so um yeah just just find me just put a little coins in um, I, I took I put, took Black History Month off. I love y'all. I took Black History Month off with writing, but I'll be back in March. I'm working on some essays. Well, and we, I'm proud of us. We were making some, we were setting some good boundaries in February. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Yes, it was, it it needed to be done. We have, you know, there's, there's a beauty and there's a burden in setting the standard. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And so, and, you know, this is not about the topic of the discussion, but I also say this as much as I possibly can. Part of why Black women get vilified the way we do in the Western world and the world at large, because we're the only group of people who collectively aren't regularly trying to figure out how to be white men. That's fact. That's absolutely fact. Disinterested. So, right? We just consistently ain't out here trying to do it. Mm -hmm. Part of it because we can't be, but still, we just be like, huh, what? Yeah, because no. nobody's seen white men in the ways that we have. Now, why are you 
you trying to make us do a whole new podcast right now? And so in this world that we're mm. making this future world, y'all better start taking leads from us. Mm. <laughs> you need to be like, if you're not a black woman, you need to be like, uh, what what the black women doing? What what are <laughs> going? Okay, do that. <laughs> just remember 2020, y'all. Just remember who got y'all through. Girl. Just saying. Girl. Mm. They want to forget. People love black shit. They just don't want it from black people these days. Oh goodness. Whole nother conversation. Hold up. We didn't have three separate conversations. I guess you're gonna have to have me back. I guess so. We need (laughs) a okay, Courtney. You are all the things, and I am so blessed and so honored to be in fellowship and community with you. Y'all, look at the show notes. We're going to give you all the jewels in the show notes that Courtney dropped. And y'all, we all kinfolk today. We are all kinfolk today. Bye, sis. Bye, girl. Thanks for listening to the Please Say Black podcast, and I am so excited to be your host, Joaquina Reed. I hope today's episode really connected to you in a deep way. And I want to encourage you to check out the episode notes. You can find out more information about me, how you can support our podcast, and of course, find out more information about our dope guests. Lastly, make sure you follow us over at Instagram at Please Say Black. I want to leave you with this blessing from our tremendous ancestor, Malcolm X, that says, I pray that God bless you in everything you do. I pray that you will grow intellectually so that you can understand the problems of the world and where you fit into it, into that world picture. And I pray that all the fear that has ever been in your heart will be taken out. So stay black, stay black, and be blessed. If you don't mind, I would like to get a little rest now. Catch y'all next time.